finish. And it's the opposite in format. In Paul's day, he begins identifying himself as the author. And so he says in the beginning, Paul, I'm the one writing this. So Paul is the author of this letter. And there's really no um, no controversy with regard to that. All biblical scholars agree. There, there are some books that there's some debate about uh, issues with regard to authorship, but not the book of Romans. Everybody is in agreement that, yes, Paul is the one who writes the book of Romans. Well, who is Paul? I, I think we need to answer that question, and most of you know, but let's just back up just to have an understanding, Paul was born and named Saul after the king of Israel, Saul. He was born about the same time Jesus was, um, but he was born in Tarsus, which is in Asia Minor, would be modern day Turkey. Um, grew up for the most part in Jerusalem and was privileged to have access to renowned rabbis and teachers. In fact, Paul in his earlier years and in his growing up years was able to, um, to sit under and study under uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. And, um, and so he grew up in an understanding of that deep tradition. He was a Pharisee. And at the same time, he, um, he was a Roman citizen. And we don't know exactly how that Roman citizenship played out, but he was indeed a Roman citizen and, and a Pharisee. So, so he was a very religious man. Pharisees were knowledgeable of the Bible. They knew that Old Testament Torah. And so Paul was, uh, was knowledgeable of those truths. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul became openly zealous in persecuting Christians. He was present at the first recorded martyr in the scriptures when, when Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith in Christ. The Bible clearly says that the people that stoned him to death threw their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that was kind of the, uh, a turning point in Saul's life. Having witnessed that and recognizing that, that to hold to the truth as he understood it, he himself embarked upon a journey of persecuting the church. And he was zealous to put to death or put in prison any who would claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Later on, he receives uh, permission to go to, to Damascus, and he's going to Damascus actually to arrest Christ followers there, Christians there, bring them back for trial and, uh, and, and, and possibly execution. And it's on his way to Damascus that he has a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus. On that road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in phenomenal fashion. And it was life-changing. Paul was never the same as a result of that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
In fact, it was on that road to Damascus that Paul came to understand that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and that he was indeed a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament texts that he was so familiar with. And it was in that moment that Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ. After a few experiences that happened there, Paul ended up going on into Damascus, but rather than arresting Christians, he is proclaiming now in the synagogues that Jesus is the Messiah. To the point that many of the religious leaders were saying, what in the world has happened? This guy was sent here to arrest Christians, and now he's telling us that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, and his life now was threatened, barely escaping. He ends up going back to Jerusalem, proclaiming the same truth, and again, an attempt was made on his life there, and as a result of that, he leaves and goes back to Tarshish. He is in Arabia, and he's there for about three years. During that three-year period of time, I, I, he receives further revelation from the Lord. God continues to speak into his life. And with that firm foundation he has and an understanding of the Old Testament, Paul begins to really understand how Jesus fulfilled every part of the Old Testament. He begins to understand the whole truth of the gospel. After a three-year period of time, he returns now to Jerusalem, kind of hangs out with the apostles for a period of time, and he's there for about three years, and it's during that period of time that he is no longer referred to as Saul, but from that point forward is referred to as a derivative of that name, Paul. And it is there that Paul begins his ministry primarily to bring the gospel to the entire Roman Empire. Now, he does that through three different missionary journeys that he takes throughout the Mediterranean, visiting places, planting churches, sharing the gospel. It's in that third missionary journey that Paul writes this letter to the churches or the church. We're not sure if it's one church or multiple churches, probably several churches in, in Rome, that Paul writes this letter. He's in Corinth at the time that he writes this letter. Now, the difference between the letter that Paul writes to Romans and the letter that he writes to other churches is that Paul had never been to those churches. He was not instrumental in giving birth to those churches. But recognizing Rome as the cultural center of the world, he understood the importance of that church in that place, and he understood the importance of making certain that they knew the truth concerning the gospel that it would be from there that the gospel would literally go around the world. And so in this letter, Paul unpacks for us a, a, an understanding of what the gospel is. Early on, he's going he's gonna to tell us about who God is and, and, and as a, a, a God who is holy and righteous. And then he's going to explain who we are, sinners. And because we are sinners separated from that holy, righteous God. But then he's going to describe to us who Jesus is, the Savior. God who comes in human flesh 
to pay a penalty for our sin that we could not pay so that we could have eternal life. And, and so throughout this entire letter, Paul talks about the fact that we as Christ followers, as Christians, are held in the grip of God's grace. And so it is an exciting study that we're going to enjoy. Well, we see that just in that one verse as Paul introduces himself. But I want to look at that verse because it is in that verse that Paul not only introduces that he's the writer, but he describes himself. He tells us who he is. He gives us his social media platform, information. If you go to your Facebook page and it says information and you fill that out, you, you've defined yourself. Who are you? Or if you have a Twitter account, I'm always amazed that, that, that if you go to a Twitter account, a person will identify themselves, they might say something like this, I'm, I, I, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a Christ follower. They will identify themselves. So here's my question for you. If you only have a few words, who are you? In just a few words, in fact, let me challenge you to do this. In three words, who are you? Because I believe that in verse 1, Paul, what he tells us about himself can be reduced to three words. And the good news is, I think Paul's description of himself, because he is a Christ follower, might well be a description of who we are in Christ as well. In fact, what Paul does in the text before us is he says, he says, if, if we can get to the bottom line, if we can cut to the chase, Paul, I, Paul, writing this to you, am a servant. Not only am I a servant, I'm, I'm separated. And not only am I separated, I'm, I'm sent. These three words really define who Paul is. And I think they define who we are or who we are called to be. We are servants, separated, and sent. Well, let's kind of unpack that in the time that we have remaining. First of all, Paul begins by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus. First of all, he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, you might know that, that the term for servant in the Greek is doulos, and it is most often translated bond servant. In Rome, a bond servant would probably been, uh, have been a slave that was a slave as a result of compulsion, forced into slavery, but that's not always the case. Bond servants sometimes chose to be bond servant. A bond servant, for example, might owe some money to a person, and in order to pay that debt back, he would become a bond servant or a slave to that person for a period of time. But it is possible for that person to pay the debt off. It's possible for them to finally get to the place where they have earned their freedom. But what happened was that sometimes when a person earned their freedom, they would choose to stay. What they would say is, you know what? Life's really good here. 
I love working for my master. He's good to me. He loves me. He's good to my family. I have a good position. I am taken care of. And even though I have earned my freedom and my status is free and I can go, I choose instead to stay as a servant to my master. And in fact, in the Old Testament, and when Paul uses the term bondservant, it wouldn't have been from the Roman perspective that he would have understood it. It would have been from that Hebrew influence, that Old Testament perspective. Because in the book of Exodus, God even makes a provision for slaves who choose to remain with their master. And God tells them in, in Exodus, uh, the scripture tells us in, in Exodus, that uh, Exodus chapter 21, that if this particular slave chooses to stay with his master, there's a process that he goes through. And he, he, he literally will have one of his ears pierced with an owl, and, and this all would be put into his ear a, as a symbol of the fact that I am a servant of my master by choice and for life. And so what Paul says is that, hey, this is the term that really describes who I am. And, and you know, it's interesting because Paul could have used a lot of terms to describe himself. He could have said he was a Pharisee. That's impressive. He, he, could, have, he could have talked about his pedigree and his upbringing. He could have talked about the tribe that he was from, which was notable. But he didn't do that. Instead, he, he says, let's just get to the bottom line, cut to the chase, I am a servant. So a bond servant, listen to this, a bond servant is one who voluntarily submits his entire life to the authority of the master. That's what a bond servant is. So ultimately, Paul is simply saying this. If you want to know who I am, here's the bottom line. I have voluntarily submitted my life to Jesus Christ. I belong to him. When I confronted the reality that he is indeed the Messiah on the road to Damascus, when I recognize my sinful state and know that I cannot earn salvation, when I realize that God loved me and sent Jesus to come, that I might have forgiveness of sin and my sin debt can be paid, I voluntarily submitted my life to him. And I want to tell you as a Christ follower, that's who you are. Every one of you, if you are a Christian, you voluntarily turned from your sin to Christ. You receive him as your savior. You have chosen to become a servant of God for all your life. You don't become a Christian because someone makes you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by, by joining a church or, or through baptism. It is a decision we make. There's a divine exchange that takes place. I like what Jesus said on one occasion when he says, when he says what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And, and then he goes on to say this, and what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There has to be a divine exchange. And what is the exchange? The exchange is all I am for all he is. The exchange is that I say, God, I cannot save myself. And so I turn from myself, I turn from my ambition, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, and I give all that stuff up. None of that matters. All that matters is you. 
And when you become a child of God, do you understand that that's what happens? We become a servant of God by choice. We say no to self so that we can say yes to him. Now, I want to tell you something. There's a freedom there. Paul lived a life of freedom. He was able to accomplish so much because he was so focused in an understanding of who he was. And he lived his life based on the reality that I am first and foremost a servant of the Most High God. So you know what that means? Listen, there's freedom here. What it means is this. I don't have to please you. I do not have to live my life to please other people. There are some of you that are caught in the trap today of trying to live your life to please people around you and you can never ever do that. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. When I voluntarily gave my life to Jesus Christ, I don't have to please anybody for the rest of my life but him. I live my life for him. And it makes life simple. I just do what he tells me to do and live according to the principles that he outlines. Now, I know some of us have said, well, wait, wait a minute. That kind of a selfish understanding. Let me tell you this. If you live your life to please God, do you know that God is pleased when I conduct myself as a husband in a certain way? And if I please him as I live out my role as a husband, you know what? Boy, my wife enjoys that. If you as a wife live out your commitment to Christ in pleasing fashion and, and, and according to the principles that he's laid out, oh man, your husband loves that. It creates unity in the home. Do you understand that when we begin to please God, our life begins to fall in place? Now, it doesn't mean bad things won't happen and difficulty doesn't come and hardships, but it means that we live with purpose and meaning and significance. And Paul said, let me give you the bottom line. You want to know who I am? You will never understand anything about me until you understand, number one, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I have voluntarily said no to everything in my life so that I can say yes to him. And if you're a child of God, you have said no to everything in your life so that you can say yes to him. There's been this divine exchange. Only one person that I have to please. So he said servant. Next, he says, separated. Do you notice? He, 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 he does that in this phrase. You see it in the, in the phrase, called to be an apostle. Now, now, the word apostle is an interesting word. And to really understand what Paul is saying there, you've got to understand the word. The word apostle is actually a transliteration. The English word apostle is a transliteration of a Greek word. Now, that's a big, big way of saying. We just take the Greek word apostolos, and instead of translating it to a different word in English, we just take the corresponding letter in English and apply it, and we come up with a new word, apostle. And so the word apostle in English is literally the same as the Greek word apostolos. It literally means one who is sent away from. One who is separated 
It, it might carry the idea, if you would, in English today as a messenger or a delegate. One who is commissioned by another person to represent that person in some way. Now, there are two ways that the word is used in the New Testament. The first way it's used is in that general sense of one who is commissioned by another to represent them, one who is a messenger, one who is a, a, a delegate, one who has a role or responsibility. Uh, in in Jesus' words in John chapter 13, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. And, and the sent, the one sent is the word apostle, apostolos. And so even Jesus uses the term there in the same way Paul does, to describe the fact that I am a messenger, a representative of Jesus Christ. Not only am I a slave, not only am I a servant of God, I'm a representative of God. Everywhere I go, I represent him. I, I present to the world who he is. And, and in, to show you again that use of the word in Hebrews chapter 3, even Jesus is referred to as an apostle. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, we find these words, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is saying he is the messenger of our confession. He's the high priest. He's the one that brings to us this confession, this opportunity to be saved. So when Paul says, I am an apostle, he is ultimately saying this, hey, guys, I am representing Jesus in everything I do, in everywhere I go, in everything I say. Who am I? I am a servant of Jesus. I live my life to please him. I voluntarily turn from what I want to do what he wants. It doesn't matter what I want anymore. I am a bondservant, a slave. He is my master. He calls the shots. I am at the same time an apostle. I am a messenger sent from him to proclaim the truth that you might see and know who he is. I represent him in the world. Now, there's a second way that the word apostle is used also in the Bible. It's probably the one that we're most familiar with. The word apostle can also describe an office that a person holds. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible says that Jesus calls the 12 out of a larger number of people that were following him. He calls the 12 and he names them as apostles. And that was an office that they held. It separated them from everyone else. And we know that there were 12 apostles. One of the apostles betrays Jesus. 
Judas. So that leaves a vacancy. So there's only 11 apostles. And so what happens after that? The apostles get together and say, you know what? When, when Jesus selected us as apostles, there were 12. I think he did that on purpose. There needs to be 12. And so they selected another. And you remember Mathis was chosen to take Judas's spot and be one of the 12. Now there are some who have suggested, well, I think the disciples got a little ahead of themselves. They probably should not have done that because maybe the apostles Apostle Paul should have been that 12th person. I, I, I don't. I think they did the right thing. I think they did. Were operating under the the, the the information that they had and did what was right. Mathis is that person. But I also believe this. I believe that there is something unique about Paul that allows him to hold the term apostle in both ways. I think Paul was indeed a messenger, as we all are but he is also in the office of apostle having that authority. There were certain characteristics that you had to have met in order to be an apostle. One of them was that you would have had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. Paul did indeed witness the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. So I think that he was an apostle in that that sense of the position that he held or office, but he was also certainly an apostle in the same way that you are. In fact, in verse 5 of chapter 1, Paul is going to say this a little later on, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. When he uses the term apostleship, he is saying it is through God's grace that we have been saved and we become a messenger to the world and represent him to the world. Well, the final thing that Paul mentions to us in the text He's saying that we are, we are a messenger of Jesus. And, and I would want you to understand what that means for us today is that you are a representative of Christ. I want you to know that, that God has uniquely gifted you. God has placed you where you are at this moment in history, at this time, at wherever you are to be that messenger, that apostle representing Jesus. There are some people that you have contact with and the only Jesus they're ever going to know about is through you. The only way they're ever going to understand the grace of God that we have received is when they see that grace of God in you. And so Paul is saying as a child of God, listen, we, we are servants of God. That means we do what he tells us to do. We live our life for him, but we are messengers. We represent him to the world. And we want to make sure everything we do and everything we say and the way we live honors him because we're a reflection of that. And then finally, I think Paul says, hey, here's another word. I'm, I'm sent the word sent, I capture in this when he says, I am in this phrase, set apart for the gospel. It's kind of a play on words, really. Paul was a Pharisee, and the word Pharisee comes from an Aramaic word that literally means to divide or separate. And they saw themselves as separate from the world, separate from sin. We are above that. And I think there's a little play on words here where, where Paul says, hey, I have been set apart, but not because 
of what I've done and not because of what I know and not because uh, I am without sin. I have been set apart for the task of sharing the gospel. I get to tell other people what God has done for me. I get to communicate to others what has happened in me. He, he saw himself as a servant that had been separated and sent to communicate the good news. And that was the calling on his life. It was the thing that gives him purpose and passion. And throughout this entire book, you're going to be able to recognize that the reason that Paul acts with purpose and passion is that he understands at his very core, I'm a servant. I'm a messenger representing Jesus to the world. And I am sent with a specific task to proclaim the gospel to any who will listen. The gospel which is the good news that I was lost and I'm found. I was blind and I see. I was in bondage and now I'm free. I was a slave to sin, but now I'm forgiven. I was hopeless and now there is hope. And you know what? If you're a Christ follower, you were sent too. Among the last words that Jesus says before ascending to the Father, he gives us what we call the Great Commission, our marching orders. And he says, go. You can really translate it this way. As you are going, in the course of your everyday experience, make disciples. In the course of your everyday experience, proclaim the gospel. Be the messenger that others can see in you, the person of Jesus Christ. Paul lived with purpose and invites us to do the same. So I guess the question for us is simply this. As a servant, are you right now living your life in a manner that pleases him? Is God able to look at you right now and say, I'm pleased with every part of your life with your attitude, with your heart, with your intent, with, I'm, I'm pleased. And if the answer to that question is no, then today's the day, now's the moment to fix it. Now's the opportunity that God gives to come back and say, God, there's areas in my life that I know you're not pleased with, and I ask you to forgive me, restore me to right fellowship, help me remember I live to please you and I want you to be glorified and pleased with all that happens. When we understand that we are apostles, we are messengers, I want to ask you the question, the people that see you every day, what, what kind of Jesus do they see in you? What do they know of the gospel from watching your life? Are they able to recognize as Maybe those who recognize Paul to say, man, I want to talk. He talked about the good news because he never got over it. He never got over the fact that God forgave him and gave him new life. He could never get past the reality that, that Jesus would do that for him. 
Would it come as a shock to the people who work with you? Would it come as a shock to the people you go to school with if they learned that you were a Christ follower? Maybe there's some things that need to be settled there. Well, what about the last part? We're sent. I want to ask you a question. All the craziness that we are experiencing in the world today, do you think we're getting close to the end? Have you ever entertained that thought? When you begin to read the Bible, all of a sudden it, it reads like a newspaper. And I want to tell you something. I believe we're, we're getting close to the end. And you know what that means? There's an urgency right now. Because there are people you love who don't know Jesus. There are people you know and care about who don't know Jesus. And the only way they'll ever know him is when you acknowledge who you are, a servant, a messenger. And I've been sent by God to them. And time is short. And I can't afford to miss it. And I don't want that person stepping into eternity knowing that I never shared the truth of the gospel. Would you bow your head with me? It might be that in this moment as we just look at Paul and his description of who he is, we've seen ourselves. If you're a Christ follower, that means you're a servant of Jesus. That means you voluntarily at some point in your life said, you know what? I want you to be my Lord. You're my master. You're in charge. Now, some of us aren't living that way. <laughs> you're living like you're in charge. And today's the day to change that. Just like Paul to say, I'm a messenger and I'm not representing well. So Jesus, forgive me, restore me. And this is the moment for you to do that. So as the music plays, I'm going to stand right here at the front and would love an opportunity to pray with you. Maybe there's an area that God's put his finger on in your life, but you'd like somebody to pray with you. But if not, in this moment of quiet, would you in this moment just sit right there and say, God, in those three areas, as I describe myself, help me see what needs to be changed and change it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. 